As we've said, we're glad you're here at Grace, and we want to say also hi to everybody joining us online and challenge you, I think Luke already mentioned this, to respond online just by saying hi so we know you're there. Interact with us a little bit. We'd love for it if you were to do that. I want to say thanks to everybody who jumped in on the bumper crop last week. Got a lot of stuff, filled up our, our food pantry that we use for our community, and an extra storage area also helped Liberty Center and some other things. So Thank you very much for making that happen. I know that makes uh, Sandy Stout and, and Cindy Hillier's job a lot easier as they, uh, as they try to administer that. So thank you for that. And we are, we're, in a, we're in a new series. Oh, one more thing. Shout out to Mary Cleveland. She's over in our chapel in Family Church, and she's back doing sign. So uh, we appreciate that. Again, for some of you that don't know, uh, and maybe some of you online that haven't felt it's ready to come back yet, if you're kind of on, on the borderline, we do have what we call family church in our chapel where it's a little more spread out. you got a lot of room. You could just sit in little groups and, uh, and kind of be apart from everybody that's in our old auditorium, what we call the chapel. We're in a new series, Phantom Faith, and I don't know... If you've ever, do you know what a knockoff is? Have you ever bought something that you thought was the real deal and turned out, you know, it, it wasn't? It, you especially notice this sometimes when you're in other countries. Uh, you know, you'll be in a bazaar or a market somewhere, and then, uh, you know, you'll, you'll look at these tennis shoes, these Nike tennis shoes, and they're only like 219 bots, and you'll do, wow, that's only seven bucks. And so you, you'll go over there, wow, Nikes for seven bucks. And then you look a little closer, and they're not Nikes, they're Mikeys. You know, and you know, it's just not quite the same. So we know how that happens. And it, you know, it's the difference between having a Harley Davidson and a Hardly Davidson. You know, <laughs> there's one you want, one, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Well, that's what we're talking about in Phantom Faith. It's the illusion of something real, it looks real, but it doesn't have the substance of that reality. And so we're looking at, the fact is, and why are we talking about that? Because there are people sitting here and watching online that you would call yourself a Christian, and, and no doubt some of you are, are actually not believers. And, and so the question is, how do you know? That, that's what we're going to look at. Because a lot of people will say, you can't. As a matter of fact, there are two groups of people that violently object to the idea that we can even know that we have eternal life. The way I see it is people grow up with some sense of morality, some sense of right and wrong. Sometimes they grow up and that comes from church. Sometimes it comes from their family, some, you know, the Ten Commandments. Whatever it is, you grow up with this sense, this is right and, and this is wrong. And you... When you grow up that way, you tend to fall into one of two groups and how you react to those things. But both groups typically say, well, you can't know for sure what your eternal destiny is. One group, as I would be, is a group on the right. And I don't mean political right. I'm just saying sort of on the right, a little more traditional, a little more family-oriented people typically. You know, they're on the right and they're typically religious people. And they follow the rules. They're religious, but a lot of times, beyond being religious, they're legalistic. And that means 
They know the rules. And they might have even thrown in a few extra rules. And they follow the rules. And they're quick to condemn anybody who's not following the rules. And they understand that the rules are objective. But the problem is, they would say, hey, you say you know for sure that, that you have an eternity with God and heaven. How arrogant is that? How do you know whether you followed the rules close enough? How do you know that you followed every rule that you could be assured heaven? That's arrogant. And then on the other side are people on the left. Again, not politically. But people on the left, are they're, they're not the traditionalists. They're, they're the people who kind of view religion as a very personal and private thing. And not even that. It's not just religion. Sometimes they view their own moral system as a personal thing that they've concocted in their minds to make them feel right about their life. And they would say this personal thinking or this personal religion, it's right for me, but it's not right for you. And they view everything as subjective. It's whatever you feel like is right. And that doesn't necessarily apply to everybody else. But when you t talk to a person like that and you say, hey, I know that God has saved me. I know I have eternal life. They look at that and they say that's arrogant too. Because they're like, whoa, you just came up with your thing like I came up with my thing. But you think your thing's right and other people's thing's wrong. You can't do that. Everything's subjective. It's all wishy-washy. And they have rules too. It's just a lot of times they're made up internally. And the problem is both groups, left or right, they have a list of rules. And the list of rules makes them feel good morally. Or for these people, makes them feel good in the presence of God that they're doing the right things. And they feel like, hey, well, you know, as long as I do these things. But it's the same over here. They feel good morally about themselves. And in case there is a God, they're doing good. Because both groups are basically saying, hey, if I, do, if I do good, if I do the right thing, then I'll get favor or I'll get points to my credit or it'll, be, it'll, it'll go good for me. In case there's a God who's watching. And both groups, left and right, think it's impossible and it's arrogant to say that you can know for sure that you about your eternal life. But saying that, as both groups say that's arrogant, they're both letting you know that they completely misunderstand the message of Jesus. They've completely got that wrong. Their, their understanding of what Christ came to tell us is completely defective because the Bible tells us that we can know for sure that we have eternal life. For example, John, in 1 John 5.13, and we're going to be in John for a couple weeks, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, both people are following a list of rules. 
whether it's more objective and everybody knows them, or whether it's more subjective and they're just rules that they made up in their head, but they're all thinking, yeah, if I follow these rules, I'm being right or I'm being moral. And if, it, if there is a God, or there is a God, or if there maybe is a God, then I know I'm going to be okay. Actually, that's how people have related to their own morality since the very beginning. But then Jesus showed up. And Jesus came to bring us a whole, whole new approach to God. Jesus came and he said, I, I didn't come to bring you uh, a new version of religion. Or I didn't come to bring you an updated version of your own morality. He's saying, I came to bring you truth. I came to bring you a whole new way of interacting with God that's not based on rules that we follow. He brought the truth. He brought light. In John's gospel, it says in chapter 3, the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, light and darkness don't coexist. And what happens is we live our lives and basically we're walking in darkness. And we're doing things you know, and we're, just, and we're comfortable here. We may not always be comfortable. We start thinking about God and eternity and heaven. Maybe not so comfortable then. But boy, day-to-day -day life, we are comfortable here. It's great. But then Christ comes, or we're interacting, or we're confronted with Jesus. Somebody tells us the message. And then we realize that we can walk into the light. And when we come into the light... All of a sudden, all this stuff in our lives that we didn't notice as an issue when we were in darkness, we see it exposed to the light of God's truth, and we realize, wow, I am mucked up. I am dirty with sin. I've got issues, and I need to do something about this. And we have kind of one or two responses. One response is like, man, I'm going to start getting rid of some of this stuff in my life. And we do that by confession. And, and by the way, confession is not telling God something God didn't know. Oh, you're the one. Yeah, I'm confessing. Oh, you're the one. No, it, that, confession is just admitting. Hey, God, you know, and I'm, I'm admitting it. Yeah, I've done this wrong. And then repentance, I don't want to do this wrong anymore. And so that's one way to deal with But more often than not, we get exposed in the light and all our, all our stuff is exposed. And then we run back to the darkness because it's more comfortable here. Because we don't have to see all that. We don't have to, it's not in our face everything that we're doing wrong. Now, John is an interesting guy in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John that I just read a little bit about. But he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, three letters, right, and they show up right before Revelation. And then he wrote the book of Revelation. So he wrote these five books. And what we're doing is we're looking at the first letter that he wrote. The Gospel of John, that's just a history of Jesus' life. Then he wrote three letters, and then he wrote Revelation, which is really interesting. But he wrote these three books. And then 1st John, he's writing late in his life. 
Remember, John is one of the three closest people to Jesus. Jesus has had the 12 disciples, but the inner circle were three disciples. John, his brother James, and Peter. They were the closest to Jesus. As a matter of fact, when John writes his gospel, he doesn't really use his own name. He's kind of humble in that way. But he'll just keep referring to himself as, as the one who Jesus loved. You know, tight. He was tight with Jesus. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden Christianity starts spreading all around the world. The apostles leave out of Israel and they're sharing Scripture everywhere. They're sharing the message. They're sharing the light of God's word all around. And they start being killed. As a matter of fact, the first apostle that dies is John's own brother, James. But then even after that, as time goes by, uh, more people die. He's writing now, when he writes this book, 1 John, it's about 94 A.D. It's 60 years after the resurrection of Christ. 50 years after his own brother was put to death. 15 years, 15 years before he writes this book, both Peter and Paul, who wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament, were both killed by Nero. Now it's 15 years later, he's the last apostle living. He's the last disciple. And actually they tried to kill him, but somehow he survives, and then he's exiled to an island called Patmos. And from that island, he's writing. And then he writes this book. He knows he's the last one. And he writes this book, I had read it a while ago, where he's saying, hey, I'm writing you so that you could know that you don't have phantom faith. I'm writing you so that you can have these tests to know if your faith is real. And that's the whole point of the book. 1 John. And so it answers the question for us, how do we know? How can we know? What evidences in our life show us that we're living in the light, that we're actually believers in Christ? And so that's what I want us to see. What evidences do we have? What evidences show that we're living light? First evidence. The first evidence is that if we're living in the light, we enjoy closeness with Jesus. Not just Jesus, but closeness with God. Now remember, John knows what he's talking about here. Because hands down, even the other gospel writers acknowledge this, John had, he was one of three people that had this special inner circle, closer relationship with Jesus more than anybody else. But when John writes this 60 years after Jesus is on the scene, he's talking about some deep, something deeper than what he experienced with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. He's saying, hey, what I experienced now is even deeper than that. It's even better than that, and it's what everybody can have. And we'll pick that up in 1 John 1.3, it says this. What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus. Now we know he's talking about something deeper than what he had during Jesus' earthly ministry because he doesn't just say Jesus. He says that you can have fellowship with us and that we together can have this rich fellowship with not only Jesus but the Father. 
That's what he's talking about. So right here, he's saying that he's presently enjoying this relationship, this fellowship, this closeness, this connectedness with God. And, and he wants us to get that too. He's saying to us, that's what we should all, as believers, that's what we should all be experiencing. This fellowship, closeness with God. That's, that's what John wants for us. That's what God wants for us. And sometimes we kind of forget that Christianity is more than just knowing about God. The Bible teaches us about God. And so, the, you know, we're, we're Christians and the longer we study the Bible, the more and more things we know about God. But that's not the essence of Christianity. The es essence of Christianity is not knowing about God. The essence of Christianity is knowing God. Not just about Him, but experiencing relationship with God. Knowing Him personally, intimately, closely. That's what God wants for us. And the question is, do you experience that kind of closeness with God? Do you sense his joy and his presence? Do you enjoy being with God in that way? And a lot of people say, well, Kevin, how do you do that? How, how do you get beyond just kind of knowing about God and saying you're following, but, but having that joy, that closeness, that presence? First, I think sometimes it's just us taking time. It was kind of a, a, a last couple of days kind of busy. And, and you know, and just like all of you, you know when you're busy and, and, you, and it's the end of the day and you didn't get half done what you thought you were going to get done and maybe you're going to connect some, with some people and you didn't connect with some of those people and the day's over and you're like, wow, I didn't get half the stuff I meant to get done. I didn't get done. And I, I was just thinking about that the other day, not even about this message. Just thinking about that, and then I was thinking, wow, the most valuable resource I have is my time. Besides my connection with God, the most valuable thing I can share with somebody is actually my time. Because it's so limited. You probably feel the same way. Hey, you want to feel closest with God? Take time. Give Him your most precious commodity. Time. Spend time with him. That's where it starts. Spend time to talk to him. And, and you know what happens a lot of times? Because prayer becomes a check off the list. And so then we, we have our normal time of prayer. And then we have these normal things that we normally talk to God about or ask him about. And so it's, you know, oh yeah, here's my prayer time. And now I pray the same things that I always pray. And so I get off that list. Boom, boom, boom. And now that's done. And I can feel good about that. And now I can go about my day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking time. Not that that's wrong. Do that. But when you're done with that, when you're done with your list, be with God. Take a walk with God. Talk to God about the day that's coming up. Or talk to God about the day that's over and the tomorrow that's coming up. Talk to God about being with him. Talk to God about what he wants. Tell God the thousand ways he's blessed you today. And then respond to him with gratitude. Ask him to be with you. Just talk to him about everything in your life that you're thinking about at the time. That's how we experience closeness, by just being with him in that way. Not as a list to check off, 
just spending time with him. It's great if you have a commute. You can just talk to God. Turn the radio off. Get your phone out of there. You know, and just talk to God. Take a walk in your backyard. Go on the bike trail. Talk to God. Share your life with God. That's what I'm talking about. Experience the joy of doing life with God. That's where it starts. And there, uh, there's another evidence that we're living in the light is when we're, we're sensitive to sin. We're sensitive to sin on one hand and when we want to be obedient on the other. Here, here's how John writes it in 1 John 1, 5. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So one evidence is just that we're sensitive to sin. Aren't you glad that one evidence is we have no sin in our life? Aren't you glad I didn't say that as an evidence? Aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean, if that was the evidence, you know, Pastor Tim wouldn't be in heaven with us. I mean, you know. <laughs> no, we're all sinners. Sometimes we can read the book of John because it's all about assurance. And we read this little book and we're like, okay, well, I can't be a believer. No, not the way John's saying it, but we're missing something. Here's what he's telling us. Hey, if we're walking in the light, if we're actually believers, we become sensitive to our sin. We see it. We, we want to deal, deal with it. And people who claim to have no sin are actually walking in darkness. Now, we're walking in darkness. We have sin. And then we come into the light. And then all of a sudden we are more aware, more sensitive to our sin. We're like, whoa, I need work. And we start dealing with that. That's the way God intends. We become sensitive and what do we do? We admit it to God and, and we repent. We, we want to leave it. We want to stay in the light. We don't want to run back to darkness where we feel more comfortable. We want to stay right here. With God in the light. That's what he wanted for us. And we do that by admitting our sin called confession. That we admit it to God. And then we repent of it. We say, I don't want this anymore. God, help me not do this anymore. I mean, that's what Paul did, right? Paul, who's dead at the time that John's writing this. but Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else that we'd say maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. Paul, he's saying in Romans chapter 7, wow, I've got all this sin. I'm, I'm standing here and I'm, I'm walking with God and I realize, wow, the things that I want to do, the good things I want to, I don't always do those things. And then things that I decide I'm never doing that again, I find myself doing it. And he feels the struggle. He gets it. If you struggle with sin, if you're just tired of sin, 
If sin has beat you down in your life, you're just like, you have got to be kidding me. I can't believe I did that again. If you're weary, your soul is weary of your sin. If you're broken, if you're struggling, that's actually a sign that you are a believer. Not that you're not. Because you've become sensitive to the sin in your life. And we're reminded his blood has cleansed us from all sin. It's repeated again. Look how he continues in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous. Or a lot of versions will have just. He is faithful and just. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then he continues on. The next verse is in chapter 2. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. And an advocate means a legal representative. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, fancy word just means payment in full, he himself is the propitiation, the payment in full with the Father, I'm sorry, payment in full for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, Hey, Christians, do not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have a representative. You have somebody in your defense saying, I have paid for this person's sins. Full payment. And you see how that works. You notice the wording. It's not God, he, he forgives us of our sins, but it's not described as God is merciful and kind to forgive us of our sins. No. What's he say? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why, why that wording? Because the sins have been paid for. It's only right and just that we be forgiven. Because if our trust is in Christ alone, he's already paid for our sins past present, and future. That's what he's saying. That's propitiation. But then people will say, well, Kevin, how can I be sensitive to sin and keep on sinning? How can I be sensitive to sin in my life, but I keep doing it? How, how's that working? Well, how do you know? Well, you know, you see you know when you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life. Yeah, you still sin, but you see a decreasing pattern in your sin. Now, the strongest way that John says this, this decreasing sin in our life, he says it super strongly in, in 1 John 3, 9. He says, no one who is born of God practices sin. And you read that and you're like, whoa. Uh-oh. Tim's out. I'm out. You know, it's bad. But you got to understand, 
he's using a specific word. He says practices. No one who practices. When he uses that word, it conveys an idea of sin as a habitual practice. He's talking about walking in darkness. That sin is your habit. What are you known for, he's saying. What, what are you known for? What are you habitually involved in sin? Or are you really known for something else? You see, when we place our trust in Christ, Scripture says that we as believers, immediately we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God through His Spirit living inside of us. When He comes into our life, He makes us sensitive to sin. He convicts us of our sin. He points it out in our life as we yield to Him. We can see it better. Because he is in our life. And the Spirit is a continual check against habitual sin in our life. Because it's the Spirit that will not let us get comfortable with that. Christ's death takes away the penalty for sin. But Christ's death should also take away the pattern of sin in our life through His Spirit interacting with us. So, and I know some people say, well, man, now you're talking about habitual sin. Kevin, I got issues. You know, I'm over here, and I feel like because I have this sin, and I just keep doing it and doing it, and then I'll think I'm good for a while, and I'm right back here. And then... I walk into the light, and then I'm convicted not only of the sin in my life, but I'm also convicted that this is a reoccurring issue in my life. And you'll say, hey, God, I, I, I'm admitting it, and I'm repenting, but it's hard for me to repent because I know the last time I repented, the last time I told you that I don't want to do this anymore, I actually ended up doing this again. And it's still, and I'm in the light walking, and I'm not comfortable here because this sin, it's clinging to me. It's all over me, and I'm admitting it, but I feel funny repenting because I've repented before, and I've still got this sin. And because of that, you're trying to walk in the light, and you're clouded with guilt. And it's a cyclical guilt that happens in your life. That's not what Jesus is saying. Here's what God is telling us. Hey, we... We're in the darkness. We're messed up with sin. We feel comfortable here because it's not so obvious. It's not so easily seen. We don't feel as exposed in our sin. And then we walk in the light and it's comfortable. But I'm telling you, don't run back. Admit it and repent. But Kevin, I've already repented. I'm telling you, repent again. But Kevin, it's, it just kind of clings to me. I don't know what's going to happen next week. Well, repent that you won't do it next week. But Kevin, I may do it. And, we're, and I feel guilty. Drop the guilt. Admit your sin and repent. But Kevin, it clings to me. Well, it's not clinging to you now. Not when you repent. Your sin is off you. Walk in the light. Walk in joy of a relationship with Christ. But I may do this again. Well, you're not doing it now. Enjoy the light. Enjoy walking with, enjoy the closeness 
Leave the guilt behind. Your sins are paid for. You've been declared righteous in Christ. Quit feeling the cycle of guilt and feel the joy of the closest. Reset your relationship with God. Walk anew in His light. Feel the joy of doing that. That's what God wants for you. That's what he intends for you. That's what John's telling us. When we... When, when you know you're not all that you ought to be, but you're a long way from what you used to be, that's evidence of a Christian life. Because you see this decreasing pattern of sin in your life. And when you do that, then you'll strive to walk in His Word. You'll strive to, strive to obey. He continues in the next verse, 1 John 2, 3, says, By this we know that we have come to know Him. By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and doesn't keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Christians don't just say they do. But, but now remember, I, this sounds like, well, hold it. This is saying we don't... If we're not obedient, we, and, and there's areas I'm not obedient. Yeah, but remember the two verses right before this. Again, if we do sin, we have an advocate who is a propitiation for our sin, a payment in full. Jesus died. So not only that we could be saved from the just punishment for our sin. But also so that we can walk in joy and new life, that we can walk in His light. And if we're sincere, it'll show up in our life, demonstrate change. We've talked about it before. True believers desire to obey God not as a means of salvation. That's just a list of rules that will not help you. True believers don't obey as a means of salvation. They obey out of gratitude for a gift they've already been given. That's how we're to live. And the last evidence we'll cover is if you're living in the light, you love other Christians. You know, God's greatest command is obviously to love God with everything. We've talked about that recently with all our heart, Soul, strength, mind, love God with everything. Love others like you love yourself. And God's telling us, hey, love God first, love others, but especially love believers. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian and you don't even like Christians, you're, you're probably not a believer. That's what he's telling us. 
Look at this next section of Scripture. 1 John 2, beginning of verse 9. The one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Now, in this, unlike neighbor, brother is another believer. Brother, loving your brother means loving a brother or sister in Christ. We do that primarily in church. And so the the test here is, hey, do you like being with believers? Talking about God, talking about what God's done in your life, studying the Bible together, finding out more about God, more truth to apply to our life. And God's design is that church is where we do that. Church is where believers are supposed to gather together, to be one body as it's described in Scripture. So we all come in, and the Bible says we're all different parts of the body, and we come, when we come together, we're a whole. And our church can't be everything that it's supposed to be until all the pieces, all the parts of the body are together involved in church, making church happen. Because each piece, each part, each member of the body has a special gift in order to make the ministry of the church work in order to help other people. So we all come together and we experience synergy. We're The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. God does that. And we impact others. We deploy together. We have online church, which is great. And a lot of people have been using that because of COVID and all that stuff. And and it's weird because years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do that. But there's a danger to that as well. we We have leaders of grace that are that are high risk and so they're not attending our services, that are completely engaged with our church. Some are still leading in ministry, either the care ministry or they're hosting online services or connecting with other people who are finding us online. They're engaged. They're all in. So we still have this interaction. They're still fulfilling their part. But the danger is, is that we'll just be watching online and we won't engage and we will just cocoon ourselves and isolate ourselves. And then we'll start losing attachment to the church. And and basically, in a practical way, I'd say this. We understand some people are high risk and they're not back yet. But everybody who's not back yet, everybody who's online, you should probably have a plan in your mind as to when you will be back to make sure that you just don't drift. Because God wants us all together. And one of the tests is that we love other believers because we should all grow continually in the love of God and the love of others. And we help each other do that as we come together. Do you see these evidences in your life? Do you see this closeness of fellowship the sensitivity to sin, the desire to obey, the love of other people. Do you see these evidence? If not, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. And if you'll put your trust in him and him alone, what he did on the cross, he will bring you into his family. He'll never let you go. But if you're a believer, 
and you're saying, Kevin, I read a book like 1 John, and I'm just like, wow. I'm not doing this right. Something's wrong. And you're broken. And without even realizing it, you're over here. The place where you can feel comfortable. And you're a believer. Jesus is inviting you. Come into the light. He loves you with all your stuff. He loves you. He died for you. Come into the light. Drop your stuff. I don't know if I'll pick it up. Drop it and enjoy that it's not with you now. Drop it and enjoy the closeness with God that will build you up to make you better to resist temptation in the future. Drop it. Walk in the light. Walk with God. Come back to Him. That's what He's offering you. That's what He wants for you. That kind of a life, an abundant life, a joyful life. Come back. We're going to close our service with a song. And uh, this is my challenge. You know, back in the old days, we did invitation songs. And I'd like to do that today, which is just, hey, you feel like you've gotten out of whack or, hey, that you've gotten a little sloppy with your Christian life, that maybe you've got comfortable with something that's there or you're not broken as you should be or you are broken and you don't know the way. Hey, during this song, just come up here if you want. Just kneel down and pray during the song and then just go back to your seat. Of course, you can pray in your seat. Pray while you're standing there. But sometimes just moving, just doing that act helps you remember it. It helps set your resolution to make it happen. And also encourage others to do the same. During this song, respond how God leads you, leads you as we sing together.